And hello once again, RGV Sports Nation. My name is Ray Silva, and welcome to another edition of the South Texas Border Sports Podcast. We drop episodes every Monday on anchor.fm forward slash STBS. You can also find our show on Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Today's guest, he is the play-by-play voice of the RGV FC Toros, and he's also done the play-by-play of the RGV Vipers. I would like to welcome in out of the McAllen Independent School District, Mr. Mark May. Mark, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Ray? It's great. I'm, it's, it's coming along, and uh, welcome aboard. Well, thank you. Thank you. Big uh, win for the Toros last night. Yes, a huge win. They stay on top of the, of the uh, Mountain Division, and it was a nice six-point swing heading in for, for a weekend contest. But I, I will ask you, you know, doing the play-by-play uh, duties of the Toros, how has that been for you so far? Uh, that, it's been a lot of fun, and um, I, I've enjoyed it Im- immensely. I, I appreciate uh, Mr. Jesse Quintanilla, who's with the uh, front office for the Toros, who contacted me and uh, offered me the position. Um, he heard about me doing the Vipers and and asked if what I knew about soccer and and um, told them a little bit about my background. I've you know never I've played mostly at the at the rec level for about 20 years off and on both indoor and outdoor. And I've done some soccer calls for McAllen ISD of their high school boys and girls teams, uh, especially their girls because the Mackay girls are you know a state contender. And uh, so it, it, that's what it led to. And I got teamed up with a, a great uh, fellow broadcaster in Brian Smith uh, from UTRGV. And of course he calls a lot of their sports and it, it's been, it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun, especially uh, as the Toros have put such a great product on the field. Um, you know, they've been very entertaining. They've had a lot of late goals that have led to either draws or wins. And, you know, in fact, all of their wins have been, except for one, have been one goal games. And uh, all of their losses have been one goal games. So they're kind of the cardiac kids of the USL in, in a way. So I have really enjoyed it. You know, HEB Park is a, is a fantastic venue. And we've got a great broadcast crew led by our director, Jim Bob Sides, who's done a lot of the uh, not only Toro's broadcast, but also the uh, broadcast for the Vipers as well. And um, he, he has a lot of experience and, and does a really good job. So, um, you know, it's a real professional crew and it's great to be working with them. Well, you, 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 t- you touched it up a bit. Uh, you've done a little bit of the play-by-play. And how far back does your play-by-play experience go back to? Um, the very first time I did it was in high school. Uh, it was 1984. Four, so I'm dating myself here. It was my senior year, and uh, McAllen Memorial had a road game in Kingsville, and I was a Memorial High School student, and we had gone up there, and there was kind of a mix-up. I think somebody else was supposed to do it for the for the high school class, which was known as uh, KMTV for Memorial Television, and so I ended up uh, calling the game because I had played a couple years of football and 
and that, that was my first experience doing it. So, and it was a lot of fun. And, you know, back in high school, you know, when the counselors talk to you about, uh, you know, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? You need to be thinking about a career and, and this kind of thing. Well, I was taking this radio TV production class and I like sports a lot. I've always been a lifelong sports fan. And I kind of thought about it and thought to myself, well, you know, I'm not really good enough to become a professional athlete by any means, but you know, what's a way to be around sports in some other capacity. And that's when the idea of sports casting uh, kind of came to fruition for me. And I started kind of focusing on that. And then when I got into college at what was then uh, Pan American is in the 1980s, uh, I started looking at, at classes that I could take that would benefit that. I took speech classes, writing classes, journalism classes, uh, even acting classes, which surprisingly that, that actually was a, uh, a big benefit because you know, you're in front of a live audience, they're looking right at you. And if you can handle that, then you can certainly handle you know, a microphone or a camera. So uh, I really, you know, when I've talked to uh, kids at like career days and things like that, I, and they want to go the same route as myself, I tell them about take acting classes because that's often not on a lot of people's radar, but uh, that's, that, I found that to be really helpful. And, uh, you know, I started off, um, I actually uh, uh, contacted the local radio station, KURV Radio in Edinburgh, 710 AM. It's still, still on the air after all these years. And they were doing Edinburgh Bobcat games back then. And this was the height of the uh, Bobcats with the Steve Alanis and the Paul Allsbury, and uh, later on Lance Marburger, uh, those days with uh, Coach Richard Flores. And they were rocking and rolling to the third round of the state playoffs every year. And so they were probably the Valley's most popular team at the time. And I, I just called the station to ask if I could just watch uh, can I just like stand behind everybody and watch y'all do the broadcast so I can kind of learn it? You know, I was just 18 years old at the time and uh, they, they, they said, okay. And so when I went there to a game in probably mid-September of 1985, um, the general manager at that time, Lance Hawkins uh, said, well, you know, do you want to help us spot? And I didn't even know what a spotter was but uh, they may be a spotter where that's the person who kind of has a roster in front of them. They usually have some binoculars, hopefully, and they spot who makes the tackle and things like that. And then you, you kind of point that out to the announcer. So when he says like, oh, there's uh, Richard Garcia on the carry, he gets tackled after a gain of five, it's gonna be second down in five. And then he can look it down at the number I'm pointing on the opposing, on the defensive roster and say, and the tackle made by the linebacker, uh, Pierre Garcia, you know, something like that. And it just sounds very natural, like a natural flow on the air. Like he, he knew who it was all along, but it's the spotter that helps with that. And that's, that's how I got started was just doing that for free, uh, just showing up on a voluntary basis. And uh, as, it, as football season led into basketball season, KURV at that time was doing the Bronx uh, basketball, men's basketball game. So I asked if I could volunteer with that. And it was kind of the same thing where I just uh, showed up and I would help. They gave me a little job, like help keep stats, you know, keep track of the scoring and the fouls and things like that. And then after, about the third game, um, the uh, color commentator didn't show up that night. It was one of the uh, Bronx players who was injured. And for whatever reason, he wasn't there. Uh, so the play-by-play -play man at the time, uh, Mr. John Schill, who had been on the 
KRGB Channel 5 as their sports anchor in the 1970s and was doing the Bronx games, had a fantastic voice. Uh, he put me on the air. So it was John Schill who there kind of gave me my, that first break. And uh, that's where I did, I did a little bit of color there for basketball and started to try to improve myself and my knowledge of the games. You know, you, you can't just simply watch games on TV, although that helps a lot, but you need to do a lot of reading also. So I would go to the library. I would check out books on, on coaching basketball, basketball strategy and tactics. I remember I read one book that was published by uh, Jerry Tarkanian, who I hadn't heard of at the time, but it didn't know he was, a, a, you know, the famous uh, Tark the Shark from UNLV, but he had published a book on basketball, winning basketball systems. And so, you know, I read books like that, read the rule book, of course, to, to really, you know, know the rules. It's one thing to hear other people tell you the rules, but when you actually read them in black and white, it really uh, opens up your eyes. And, uh, and, and it just kind of caught the bug from there, you know, and it's been a lifetime of just um, always trying to improve myself, always trying to um, improve my knowledge of sports. And there's so many different aspects. It's not just uh, the players right now, uh, but uh, historically, who are the top teams? Who are the top players? Who are the top coaches? Um, how have the rules evolved in different sports over the years? Uh, you know, what is the impact of, of the media, radio first and then television, and nowadays with the internet on uh, the impact of the sports world? And so I've done uh, basketball, I've done baseball, I've done um, uh, uh, well, soccer now, and other sports I've done at the high school uh, level for McAllen ISD include uh, volleyball, boys and girls basketball, boys and girls soccer, and even softball. So, it, it, you know, it's, it, it's a lot, so, but I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it immensely. It, to me, it's a kind of an art, and you're always trying to get better. You're always trying to improve. You're never there, so to speak. And, um, you know, you work on your vocabulary, uh, constantly keeping up with what's going on in the sports world. And you're just always trying to evolve and get better. And you, you speak of uh, getting better. And one of the topics that I, I guess it, it just gets better because of the team's performance, you, uh, we'll switch back to RGV Toros now. You know, we've, see, we've seen them from the beginning of the season all the way through now. It just seems like there's been a – a constant progress in the way they've uh, won soccer games, and they've used uh, many variety of ways to get, to get the results that they need. Uh, and I just want to like use a few examples. Uh, the game against El Paso at home, they didn't have Elvis ammo, and yet they they used uh, I guess di different combinations to kind of. You know, break down that El Paso stifling defense. And then we'll go back to the game where they defeated Real Monarchs. You know, they had Elvis Ammo in the lineup, but yet it was a different player that found uh, a different opportunity to score. Is that, ju is that just something that you're uh, constantly picking up on, on Toro's broadcast and, and when you're able to see them? Yeah, well, the, the very first game, I thought it was pretty much kind of the Elvis Amo show. You know, the, the, it seemed like the team's job was to feed the ball to him uh, so he could try to get scoring opportunities, and, and he did. And they won that season opener, one nothing. 
on his goal on on really what was pretty much the only strong quality attack they had that game. And I, I'm impressed uh, that they seem to have more players who are popping up and contributing. Uh, uh, Rodrigo Lopez, you, you know, is especially in that midfield, you know, he's more of a defensive midfielder, at least, uh, you know, came into the season as such. And yet last night he stepped forward, he assisted on two goals and scored the game winner. And uh, he had another goal earlier this year that was just a boomer, a cannon shot from about 30 yards out. And, you know, he's come along really strong. Um, Juan Cousin, who seemed kind of, um, didn't really have a place to kind of fit in. They were kind of looking for a place for him. And he, he popped around in the different areas in the midfield and the forward areas. And now he's emerged lately and has created a lot of scoring opportunities and has three goals on the team. Um, Oh, Juan David Cabezas, uh, I like a lot. Uh, hasn't scored, but he's a real force in that midfield. He does a lot of the heavy lifting, so to speak, with uh, timely tackles to break up attacks from the opposition and then to feed the ball constantly to the wingers uh, like Cousin or Cerritos uh, streaking down the, the sidelines. Uh, Carter Manley, even though he's a defender, they've also used to uh, join the attacks because of his speed on the outside. And I really like where the team is going. Uh, you know, at the beginning of last night when I saw that uh, Amo was not in the starting lineup and Vicente Sanchez was not in the starting lineup, I, I thought um, they're kind of going with more of a youth movement here in Cerritos, who's just 20 years old, and Cuzain, who's about 22 years old. And, and, you know, I was kind of, you know, kind of a little bit leery about it, kind of thinking like, you know, are they going to be, be able to create? Because, you know, who's the leader here? And they were able to do it. And I was really impressed with that. And then Sanchez, uh, they tried starting him in one game, but I think they've, they've kind of felt that he's really more effective coming on late in the last 20 minutes. He's 41 years old, amazing what kind of shape he's in and amazing how he, he creates something every time he's on the field. But they'll use him for the last 15 or 20 minutes of games. And last night, his role was probably a little different. They put him out there not so much to create the scoring chance, but to kind of be a leader out there on the pitch and just kind of keep every, you know, keep all the heads cool, so to speak, because they were, they had a three, one lead. It went down to three, two, and then things got a little hairy there toward the end, but they held on for the win. And I really like um, the way players are starting to kind of step up and you're seeing the improvement from the first game to now in, in just about everybody. Um, great game last night from the, uh, from the center back. Um, uh, James Murphy, who started there and, and did really well with some uh, headers that he cleared and he even joined in the attacks on a couple of occasions. So, you know, it's a team that's showing a lot of diversity. And I think Coach Cabretta has talked about how he needs people to be able to fill different roles. And we're starting to see that now. And, and you know, he's used a lot of different formations also. Last night was the first time he's used a 4 2 2 2. And it, it seemed to be effective for them. They had an attack early, got the early goal, put El Paso back on their heels and uh, were able to press forward and get a couple of goals in the second half that led ultimately to a one goal victory. So yeah, I, I, I like, I've loved watching the, how the team has evolved and how some players have moved around in different places and how players have stepped up to fulfill those new roles. Uh, one of the things that I've, I've been noticing very well with the exception of, of this last game was 
uh, Arturo Dispe, who's a uh, a powerful center back uh, for the Toros back line. He wasn't in last night's game, but I just feel like his performances have been real, real strong as of late. You know, he's one of those center backs that isn't a, uh, that isn't afraid to to move up uh, out of his position and, and try to help uh, to spark plug the offense a little bit since uh, Elvis Ammo isn't really up to up to speed right now uh hoping to see him back soon but i just feel like dispe and carter manley i feel like that those two guys uh in the back are gonna be a force to be reckoned with in the usl championship i don't know if you could share that same assessment yeah yeah i like uh dispe and uh they didn't have him in the, on the back line last night. They seem to hold hold out okay, but DSB has been uh, outstanding on that back line. He was uh, about 30 years old from Cuba, a lot of experience, uh, even played on the Cuban national team. And yeah, he's he's a solid force on that defensive back line. And um, yeah, it's, it's just, they, they, they've got so many guys. Another guy, John Henry Sanchez didn't play last night, but he's got a lot of speed. Uh, on those wings as well and um, and you mentioned Carter Manley and Manley got his first goal of the season last night uh, first time a defender has scored a goal for the Toros this season it's I've been all midfielders and forwards up till now with one you know exception of an own goal that they got courtesy of Miami uh, but uh, yeah I like Manley's uh, speed um, and uh, he you know scored from right in the middle last night on the uh, corner kick in the fifth minute and that was brilliantly executed. I mean, they obviously they they've been working on that because they hadn't been very effective on corners until last night. And they generated, they were able to create eight corners. And I think you know, pretty much had an attack, some kind of cross into the box that was dangerous on all eight of them. They got a score on the first one. And they like to put Lopez down there with Cousin, and they just kind of do a little one-two and to kind of see what the defense is going to give them. The defense comes out there to mark them, then they send it in. Or if the defense does not come out, then they just kind of charge in toward the area and force the defense to have to make some kind of decision before they chip it into the box. And uh, you could tell it was kind of giving El Paso fits all last night. Absolutely. You know, and you mentioned a name earlier, Juan David Cavesas. You know, uh, he came back from, from a little layoff and, Ever since he's been uh, back on the 11, I just feel like uh, Rodrigo Lopez, as you mentioned, he's been that defensive midfielder, but I kind of feel like Juan David Cabezas is kind of like that true uh, defensive midfielder, the guy who's willing to do all the dirty work to kind of free up uh, Cerritos Lopez and even... uh, from the last game, Camden Riley last night, it just kind of seems like you no know, Juan David Cavesas is kind of like that true leader on the field. Uh, that once once the game just marches on, when you bring in Vicente Sanchez, you actually bring in that field general to kind of like soothe things out and let the and, and, and try to finish up the game the way it needs to be finished. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's a great, uh, terrific at tackling, you know, not afraid to, to, to get in there and, and mix it up, so to speak. And, 
yeah, like I said earlier, kind of does that that dirty work that needs to be done. And he's not the, the you know, he what he does doesn't really show up on the on the score sheet. He doesn't pick up the goals or assists, but he's he's the one that gives them the chances. He's the one that initiates a lot of the offensive attacks because he's the one that will dispossess the opposition to get the ball back so you can feed it up ahead to one of your other midfielders or to send it down the wings to one of the uh, one of the fast guys they have either, you know, Saitos, Kuzain, Manley, uh, Sanchez, you know, they've got a lot of guys with some speed. And yeah, I, I love the play. I love to watch him play uh, Cabezas. And, you know, he's worn the captain's armband, I think at least the last two home games and and deservedly so. And uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think he's he's a good leader out there. And and I guess he had some injury problems early on because he wasn't playing in the first part of the season, but he's been playing as of late and getting, uh, you know, they leave him out there the whole nighty. And so you know that uh, Coach Cabretta really appreciates his contribution. And, you know, and I'm glad you mentioned Camden Riley because I, yeah, I, I, I actually mixed up Murphy with Riley. Uh, they're both uh, tall defenders. And, uh, yeah, it was Riley who got that start last night and played so well there at the center back spot, you know, holding things together. And that was only his third start of the season, and he did really well last night. Well, one of the things that I, I guess for me – uh, like we touched up on all the good spots, but uh, there's always some of the bad that goes into it. Uh, Tyler Derrick, you know, uh, a consummate professional, uh, a nice MLS career with the Houston Dynamo. I, it just seems for, for me, I, I guess defending the set piece for RGV FC has been a little bit of a deficiency. And last night I felt like, it kind of rear its head a little bit because when you give up that long distance a shot from a set piece, it's not really the first time it's happened all year. Um, do you feel that uh, that kind of the way Tyler Derrick approaches it a little bit, could he lean more on his center backs to kind of re readjust themselves to kind of like, block out some of that imminent danger. I mean, after all, I just feel like if, if there's a, a weakness to this RGVFC side, it's just given, giving up the set-piece goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the set-piece goal, um, yeah, they gave up one last night and also uh, the Austin Bold game, uh, the very last kick of the game nearly, uh, Austin Bold in the 96th minute converted a set-piece uh, for the winning goal there. So yeah, set pieces, defending set pieces have been kind of an albatross uh, for the Toros, but, but I think it's more of a team thing. Uh, you know, I know the, the goalkeeper that you always look to him um, when their goal is scored, but I haven't seen Derek give up any soft goals yet. Uh, seems like the, the defense does a pretty good job of holding the opposition down to just a limited number of shots on goal, but those shots on goal tend to be a high percentage of them are going in for whatever reason. Um, yeah. I noticed that Derek had not had a save going into last night, did not have a save in four straight games, but the team had only given up like one shot on goal, maybe two shots on goal, but they happen to all go in for goals. And um, yeah, I think, I think that as a team, they need to kind of step up and address that because um, a goalkeeper with a, you know, uh, the goal is 192 square feet, 24 by eight. And there's no way one person can defend when it's um, 
you know, if the shot's in the right place. And the, and the, the way to stop that is to not give up that kind of quality shot to begin with. So, yeah, I, th I think it's just um, something that needs to be addressed overall defensively. But yeah, you're right. That, that has been a weakness for the Toros that when they do give up a shot, it tends to be a high quality, high percentage shot and it leads to goals. For, for me, I mean, just being the casual soccer observer, for me, I think a set pieces like that, I, I kind of compare it to when you have a, uh, a, a basketball court, you know, when you have the perimeter, those aren't necessarily your high percentage shots. It's, it's a high, high, high risk, high reward type factor. And that's just kind of the way I, I, I see it with RGVFC right now when they've given up those uh, set piece goals that they've uh, managed to give up as of late. But it, 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 if you look at the defensive unit in general, they haven't given up a open play goal. Whereas you look, you look at the goals that they've given up, they're all on set pieces. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the set pieces need to, they do need, need to uh, address that because, um, yeah, like last night, that first goal was off a set piece. Uh, then they, they gave up a, a long kick that led to a second half goal by uh, Solinac. And um, the, the set piece by Austin Bowl that was on the last kick to, they pulled out a 2-1 win at HEB Park. And um, yeah, if, if they can just cut down on, on the fouls in dangerous places that give teams those golden opportunities, yeah, they can go a long way toward producing more wins. Yeah, I mean, I, I, one of the things that Wilmer has always been a, a prideful of is uh, having a lot of shutouts. And, and that's something that, I, I, I mean, for me, it, it's, it's still a work in progress. But uh, when Wilmer was around the first time, he had a, a, long, a long streak of, having, of putting up a lot of goose eggs on the defensive side. And, and I just think it's it's still going to take uh, the team a little bit more time to to kind of like gel in and and be able to produce uh, uh, some of these goose eggs that Wilmer has always uh, insisted pride on and I guess a top priority on as well. Yeah, and it's a you know, it's part of the it's part of a philosophy, you know, you want your your defense to take pride in getting clean sheets and to take uh, feel empowered in trying to get clean sheets, not just your goalkeeper, not just have it be the goalie. Uh, I remember when I played in, in rec league uh, as a goalie, uh, you know, sometimes I'd have a shutout going and I'd be, you know, I'd be start watching the clock, you know, in the mid second half and thinking, Oh man, I want to hold on to my clean sheet, but defensive players, they would start to, to move up field because they wanted to try to get in on the scoring action and, you know, and they wanted to score and they weren't really thinking about it. And um, it has to be a team effort. Yeah. The whole team needs to take pride in let's preserve the shutout. Uh, even the midfielders and the, and the forwards uh, want to maintain possession at least so that that's less time that the opposition has a chance to score. And, you know, it's a team game, you know, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a team game and coach Cabretta, it's kind of funny, but he doesn't consider his team a defensive-oriented team, even though they're one of the top defensive clubs uh, statistically in the in the league. Um, he he feels that that's kind of still evolving, or that we're more of a uh, 
very that they're very flexible, that they can adapt to whatever the opposition brings. If we need to be a strong defensive effort uh, to beat a certain team, then we'll do that. If we need a strong offensive effort, we'll do that as well. And and so you know the final picture hasn't been painted yet as to what this Toros team is is going to become. As is they're kind of a uh, elongated right now and that they're able to uh, adapt to whatever the opposition brings, which yeah, kind of makes it exciting, really. As I'm being joined by RGVFC Toros play-by-play voice, Mark May. Mark, uh, now let's, let's switch a little bit of topics now. You, you said you were into reading a lot of books. What are some of those books right now that you're re- recently uh, catching up on and reading upon? Uh, you know, I'm always I'm always reading, and uh, I've always been a big avid reader since I, I was a kid. Uh, love all manner of subjects, especially history and sports. Have always been my my dear loves, and I always got several books I'm reading at a time. But as far as sports books I'm reading right now, uh, they're they're all soccer related. One is um, on a, kind of a history of famous club teams throughout the world, like AC Milan and then uh, Liverpool, Manchester United, uh, Real Madrid. And, you know, it's got little, maybe four or five page chapters on each one and uh, goes through teams throughout the world. So that one's kind of been a little fun read. And then another one I'm reading is is um, on the history of the old North American Soccer League from the 1970s and, and early 80s. And just what, um, you know, how that league was, I guess, kind of a little bit ahead of its time. I think if it had come out maybe 10 years later, like when ESPN was in existence, it may have been able to survive, but it kind of came out, uh, you know, at a time when getting consistent media coverage was tough. And, but it's, you know, kind of just a fascinating league though, because you had like Franz Beckenbauer and, and Jeff Hurst and, you know, and uh, some of the top players in the world at the time were playing uh, in that NASL, Pele, of course, and of course, it was at the end of their careers mostly, but still a lot of big names ended up in the old North American Soccer League. And then the third book I'm reading is kind of a uh, sociological look at uh, soccer across the world and different cultures throughout the world. Interesting and, stuff. And, and for, for me, you, you brought up a, a couple of things. Uh, a, you're reading about the historical clubs. Uh, what was one of? Uh, have you reached the section of Liverpool FC? Oh yes, I have. It's <laughs> uh, the book goes alphabetical, and I'm, I'm up to the ends. Ends as in Nancy now. So I think the last team I read about was Nottingham Forest. Oh, yeah, so Liverpool you, uh, was an interesting read. Uh, the Reds, you know, their history goes back to the 1890s, I think. Yeah, that, that's probably like. Uh, that's my favorite club in England. You know, something, something I didn't know uh, was that, you know, their big rival in Liverpool is Everton, which yes. is also in Liverpool. Uh, the Everton club is actually older than the Liverpool club. Which is yeah. Something I didn't know. Yeah. I mean, they're a, a few years older. And now one of the things that uh, that club share in common in recent history as of a few days ago uh, Rafa Benitez, he used to be a Liverpool manager. He was just recently hired as the Everton manager. So I- imagine all the sour grapes going on between both clubs right now. Yeah, yeah, I imagine so. Uh, yeah, people, you know, fans, they forget that it's a business 
for the uh, professional players and for the managers. And uh, for them, they're just looking for, you know, employment. And if I find it at a team's rival, then, uh, then so be it. But yeah, Liverpool, uh, yeah, they have a fantastic history. They're kind of like the Green Bay Packers of, you know, English football, that they have all these championships, many championships going back over many decades. Absolutely, as I'm being joined by RGVFC Toros play-by-play voice, Mark May. Mark, a couple of more questions and we'll let you go. Uh, I've got to ask you, you know, when you were presented this job with the RGVFC Toros, what what went through your mind and and how did you continue the preparation of of getting reincarnated reinvigorated with the game of soccer i mean i know it's a little bit more different doing high high school soccer to professional soccer but how did you get yourself reinvigorated to it yeah the high school or or rather the professional game moves a lot faster than the high school game uh uh, for one and you know what i've the other big difference is that with calling high school soccer you're mainly just kind of calling what's actually happening on the field who has the ball who they're passing it to, uh, what's developing out there. But uh, for professional soccer, um, we've actually met with the an executive from the USL League office who's given us feedback on what, what they want. And they want more um, storytelling. So Brian Smith and I have to kind of weave in there, uh, you know, here's some play-by-play, and then here's some storytelling, you know, background about this player, background about the two teams or their history against each other, uh, what happened the last time they played, you know, all the all these little things that help make it interesting and help lend perspective to the broadcast. And that's that's probably been the toughest challenge is, is trying to weave that information in because, you know, in a game like, say, football, you have natural stoppages they run a play then there's about 30 seconds in between to where if you want to tell a quick little story or talk about a certain player you can with no action going on in basketball same thing you have a fouls a guy's at the foul line so you have a little bit of of dead time there that you can bring in some kind of anecdote but in soccer the action is always going and so what you try to do is if they're say in the midfield then you can talk about something like that, you know, something that's kind of big picture, something that's or maybe uh, focused in on just a certain player or uh, recent history about the two teams, whatever it is. But as soon as somebody breaks in on some kind of threat and a play starts to develop, then you have to break back into play by play mode and you cut over to that. Who's got the ball? What are they doing? Where are they on the pitch? You know, what's you know, what options do they have in front of them? And that kind of thing. And that, that I think is where the, the secret is uh, for calling soccer well, is being able to weave in between the kind of anecdotal information with what's going on on the pitch. You know, uh, one of the things that, that I, I guess uh, in, in the brief history of the Toros uh, playing El Paso, I came up with uh, is something of an a appropriate uh, title name for this game i call it the texas border derby and i call it the texas border derby because both teams share a a couple of things in common a they're border towns and and b uh when they meet it's it's played just as equally as a derby like uh, for example uh 
RGV playing San Antonio. It's the South Texas Derby. And then, of course, uh, New Mexico and El Paso, they have their own little uh, rivalry, uh, a, bo- a border nickname. And, of course, that, that's like a six to their part of the region. But for me, uh, covering this team already for the third, fourth season now, I, I, I kind of adopted that moniker of the Texas border derby between El Paso v. RGV. And also a little bit of a backstory of me, uh, having done a little bit of work for RGV Barracudas, uh, there was also a team in El Paso at the time in that league, in the uh, major arena soccer league at the time. And then that's how I flared up with the name, uh, the Texas Border Derby. So uh, that's kind of the way I've adapted this, uh, that little moniker into, into the USL championship, which is, uh, kind of a neat thing now. Yeah, that's cool. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, uh, both on the uh, on the Rio Grande and just 780 miles apart, which uh, I thought that was interesting when I looked that up. I always like to, to give out little bits of trivia like that in games, including uh, what's the distance, the physical distance between the two teams playing. And uh, at 780 miles, El Paso and Edinburgh are still in the same state. And Tulsa, Oklahoma, which uh, was the most recent opponent for the Toros, was actually closer by 10 miles than El Paso was. It just gives you an idea of how, how massive the state of Texas is. But yeah, I love that. Yeah, the, the, border, the Texas Border Derby, it's a great name for it. It is developing into a nice little rivalry, too. They've uh, split five games now. Absolutely. Mark May, I want to thank you so much for stopping by and taking part of this podcast. Where can people find uh, some of your works on social media, if you have any? Um, most of my, my work, uh, I, I've done some, I've written some stories for uh, The Monitor, uh, sports-wise. Uh, they would be on rgvsports.com. I've, uh, you know, work I've done for McAllen ISD. I'm in their communications. Uh, this, of course, uh, McAllenISD.org is that website. And I, I don't really have much of a social media presence, actually, because I'm so busy always putting things on the McAllen ISD social media. So I don't get to my personal social media very often, actually. But um, And then, you know, the Toros games, uh, you can always pick up. They're on ESPN Plus or locally on Somos Valle Channel 5.2. Yeah, Somos Valle 5.3, actually. Oh, 5.3. I'm sorry. Yes. But Mark May, thank you so much for joining in. And this has been another episode of the South Texas Border Sports Podcast. Thank you for listening. Hello, sports fans. Thanks for listening to another episode of the South Texas Border Sports Podcast. This is your host, Ray Silva. Be tuned next week for another great episode as we drop podcasts every Monday here on anchor.fm forward slash STBS. Don't forget, our podcast can also be found via Google Podcast, Apple iTunes, and Spotify. Thanks for listening. <laughs>